listening to the New Orleans Mafia podcast. Where you at, Leo? Hey, welcome to the New Orleans Mafia podcast. I'm Leo Mixon. I want to thank everybody who's uh, who's been listening to the podcast so far. We've got some uh, into the triple digits now, which is something I wasn't expecting. And thank you guys very, very much. Um, if you'd like to, to keep up with when we're coming out with new podcasts, we're going to try to get them a lot more regular. Um, it's just taking a little time because there's a lot of research involved. Uh, but... If you go down to our, to the show notes, you can see how to follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, and um, if you want to support the podcast, uh, we are on Patreon as well. Uh, I would really appreciate that. You know, it helps uh, helps free me up from from all the other stuff I got to do, so I can I can spend more time bringing you neat stories from the uh, from the New Orleans Mafia. So, all that aside, I've decided today I'm going to tell you a story about um, basically the the story that got me involved in this and made me want to tell the uh, stories here that I do in the New Orleans Mafia podcast. Now, this all started uh, back when I was a kid. I was, um, I want to say I was in late elementary school, fourth or fifth grade, something like that, Zachary, Louisiana. And uh, there was this big scandal going on. Uh, a fellow named Gil Dozier was, um, was in trouble I didn't know really what kind of trouble at the time, but he was he was in trouble and getting uh, getting investigated. And this kid that I was going to school with, his father was running against Doja in uh, 1980. So of course, you know, we knew a lot about that because you know the kids the kids talking about it. His dad's running for commissioner of agriculture, and um, so it was very interesting. I thought it was cool, but I had no idea that this whole story had an undertone that was coming through the New Orleans Mafia, that, that they were in charge of a lot of what happened here. So I thought, you know, hey, if I didn't know about that, then there's probably a lot of other people who didn't know about it, and this might be something people want to hear about. So today I'm going to uh, start, this is going to be part one. This is a big story, so we're going to break it down into a couple of parts here. Uh, but... So today I'm going to start with the, the story of the Mafia and what they did to the Commissioner of Agriculture there in Louisiana. Now, the guy we're talking about here, let's meet him first. His name's Gilbert Doja. He's born in uh, 1934 to these parents who were, they were in rural Louisiana, but they, they were well educated. Um, they lived down, uh, down in Beauregard Parish. His dad, A.J., is a, is a graduate from the University of Arkansas, and his mother, Sylvia Hennigan, uh, is the daughter of Gilbert Hennigan, so she names her firstborn Gilbert after her father. Now, Gilbert Hennigan, uh, now he's a mover and shaker, man. He's a rancher, and he's instrumental in uh, bringing the, uh, the, the electric cooperative to Beauregard Parish. A lot of people don't realize that the electric cooperatives, the way that worked, there were a lot of places that it just it wasn't feasible to run electricity. You know, the, the companies knew, hey, we're not going to sell enough electricity out there to make it worth our while to put transmission wires. So what they would do is these, uh, these cooperatives would get together and put together the money to put up the wiring and stuff, 
and get, you know, get electricity out. So, you know, the people who was involved in this, they were, they were pretty well known. Now, from 1927 to 29, Gilbert Hennigan is the uh, chief deputy sheriff in Beauregard Parish. Then uh, from 32 to 44, he's a member of the parish school board. And in uh, 33, he becomes the board president and holds that position until he leaves in 44. Uh, now, in 43, he's elected also as a president of the Louisiana School Board Association. And then um, later that year, he gets elected to secede Ernest Clement from the uh, first of the three terms he's going to serve uh, in, the, in the state senate. Now, in the Senate, he represents Allen, Beauregard, Calcasieu, Cameron, and Jeff Davis parishes. And he serves from 1944 to 1956 under uh, Governors Jimmy Davis, Earl K. Long, and uh, Robert F. Kennan. Now, <laughs> funny side note here, uh, my grandfather was a state trooper for a time. And uh, one of his positions was being one of the bodyguards assigned to Governor Kennan. He said it was the most boring fucking job he ever had in his life. It just, every time I see Governor Kennan's name, I remember him saying that. Of course, he, he didn't say fucking, he didn't curse in front of us. But uh, anyway, so during his tenure, Hennigan was the chairman of the uh, Senate Education Committee. And in 1950, he was instrumental in the creation of McNeese State University as a four-year college there in Lake Charles. Um, 55, Hennigan declines to seek a fourth term and he retires to his ranch in Beauregard Parish there. So, I mean, this guy was a pretty big deal at the time. Now, as a young man, uh, his grandson Gilbert would uh, be a page for him, and later a legislative assistant for him. Then, uh, as Gilbert's getting older, from 52 to 55, uh, he plays basketball for the University of Southwest Louisiana in Lafayette, near USL, uh, which I understand is a new name now, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, Playing ball, he meets this fellow named Jim Knotts. He's a fellow player there. And you're going to want to remember that name because that's going to come up quite a bit later. Now, from 57 to 59, Dozier serves in the Air Force. And after getting out of the service, he goes to law school at LSU and gets his Juris Doctorate. In 65, he hangs out a shingle in Baton Rouge. Now, while he's practicing law, he's always got his eye on politics. You know, he, he is making his contacts, he's positioning himself uh, for, you know, for a run at the uh, colorful world of the Louisiana legislature. In the 71-72 election cycle, he takes what should be a fairly safe position as a campaign manager for a six-term U.S. Senator. His name's Alan Ellender. Ellender was a former DA from down in Terrebonne Parish uh, who slipped into the Senate way back in 1937. Uh, after Huey Long's hand-picked replacement, Oscar Allen, died shortly after being elected. Uh, now, if you don't know who Huey P. Long is, uh, that's a fun rabbit hole to throw yourself down. Yeah, it's just when you get some time, uh, Google search Huey P. Long. Earl uh, K. Long, same. They're, they're both uh, really colorful characters. Now, Allen wasn't in any danger to lose his seat in the election, so... Dozier just needed to show up and not shit the bed, and he gets credit for running a successful campaign. Well, Ellen did decides to throw a monkey wrench into the works by dying in the middle of the campaign, and J. Bennett Johnston ends up winning the seat. So Dozier sets his sights on the Louisiana Public Service Commission. Uh, he, he runs to be uh, appointed there and loses that in 1974. So 
not being discouraged at all. He takes aim at uh, Dave Pierce's seat as Commissioner of Agriculture in 1975. Now, Pierce has served as Commissioner since 1960, and he had been Commissioner once before from 52 to 56. And, uh, Dave Pierce is a, he's an outspoken guy. He seems to like uh, bucking the trends, you know, going for back in the underdog sort of thing. Uh, he was part of the anti-Earl K. Long movement in the 1950s and part of the anti-Edwin Edwards movement in the early 70s. Now, you'd be hard-pressed to find two more powerful enemies in Louisiana politics. Uh, just to make sure he didn't miss pissing off enough powerful people, Pierce gets in a fist fight with State Senator John Schwegman, uh, the supermarket magnate, 1970. Uh, gets a, just, literally gets in a physical fist fight with the man. So, the 1976 election cycle comes around, and Louisiana is introducing a new thing. They call it a nonpartisan primary system. Now, uh, most people refer to that by the more common name, the jungle primary. So, instead of having parties with closed primaries who can each send a candidate to the runoff election, all the candidates are on the ballot in an open primary. Now, in that primary, if one candidate gets more than 50% of the vote, they win. Uh, if no one gets more than 50% of the vote, then the top two face each other in a runoff, regardless of what party they are. So, I mean, you could have two Democrats, two Republicans, it doesn't matter. It's everybody's on the same ballot. Now, this is a new system when uh, Pierce squares off against Dozier. And at the end of the first ballot, Dozier is leading Pierce by 30 points. Now, Pierce has the second highest total in... He could have had a runoff election, but he decides, you know, I don't have enough support to make this happen, so he just concedes and bows out. So 76 rolls around, Doja moves into a department that's been in the same hands for the previous 16 years. Now, in the way it goes in Louisiana politics, he brings in a combination of political operatives that he owes favors to, uh, some loyalists, mostly from his extended family, he brings in Jim Knotts, his old basketball buddy, who's been a political operative for a while. Now, Knotts has just come through a huge scandal um, where a million tons of horse shit gets dumped, and he winds up on the other side smelling like a rose. Doja also brings in his cousin, uh, Charlie Darnell, a self-important good old boy who thinks he's a lot tougher than he is. Now, Doja's got some good contacts in northern Louisiana, in the southwest part of the state where he's from, and you know, his grandfather was a long-term senator there, he, he's got good contacts there, but it seems like he doesn't have any strong contacts in New Orleans. You know, Baton Rouge may be the capital, but, you know, the real power resides in New Orleans. On top of that, he doesn't have a fixer. Doja considers himself a pretty boy, you know, that old, oh, I'm a lover, not a fighter bullshit. So maybe he starts inquiring around, and maybe some people start seeing that there's a big gap in Doja's team that needs to be filled by somebody who can, you know, steer things in the right direction. Now, you might wonder why anybody would give a fuck what happens in the Commissioner of Agriculture's office. But you got to remember, this is a regulatory department that controls everything that is trucked through the state. Weights and measures can destroy a business with just a slight shift in enforcement. Now, every business that wants to conduct any sales that uses anything that is grown, raised, or harvested must be licensed by this department. On top of that, it's a big department. 
It needs vehicles, it needs equipment, it needs personnel, and all of these areas are open to exploitation. I mean, it's a huge amount of money flowing through this one department. So, Doja knows he needs a fixer. He needs some muscle that can be discreet and careful, and it won't hurt if that same person has some contacts in New Orleans. So, long story short, Eddie D. Garolamo and John Mamalides both mentioned the same guy. This guy named Dave Steese. Now, Steese is this big, imposing guy, but he's not a meatball. He's worked on campaigns for Governor McKithen, uh, for the New Orleans DA, Mamalides. He's got a reputation as somebody who can make things happen and doesn't care what needs to be done to accomplish that. Uh, since the early 70s, he's been running a political newspaper in New Orleans called Pulse. And he's got his hands in quite a few other businesses as well. He can probably be convinced to take a position in Dozier's new administration. On top of that, Steve knows a lot of people in New Orleans, and it's said he may even be connected in some way to the Mafia. I'd like to take a break to tell you about our new sponsor, Doodle Dan's Deals. Now, Playboy might be one of the most recognizable magazine titles in the world, and DoodleDan'sDeals.com specializes in vintage and collectible Playboy magazines and memorabilia. I, each one of these magazines is like a time capsule. It captures you know, the pop culture, fashion, technology, and lifestyle that's going on in the world. Uh, now, we all have that person who's a nightmare to buy a birthday gift for. So, try giving them a copy of Playboy from the year and month of their birth. Uh, the things that they'll discover will range from intriguing to fucking hilarious. Uh, I mean, I give these things as gifts all the time. People love them. So, vintage Playboy magazines and memorabilia, doodledansdeals.com. No apostrophe, doodledansdeals.com. Now back to the show. Now, Doja's a bit wary, uh, but he's not as wary as he should be. There's a psychological condition known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. Basically, it says, the dumber you are, the more certain you will be that you are intelligent. So Doja figures out there's no way this new guy can get over on him. So he gives Eddie D to go ahead to set up a meeting with Steese. So Doja and Steese, they meet for the first time at the Roosevelt Hotel in New Orleans. And Steese shows up on the minute exactly. Here's this big guy, he's like 6'2", 235, he's wearing a Rolex, uh, and he is clearly used to being in charge. So, of course, Doja bows up. He wants to test nuts first thing, but uh, Steve won't rise to the bait. I mean, like little men running petty fiefdoms everywhere, Doja wants to know how loyal Steve is going to be. And Steve tells him, yeah, I'm loyal to whoever's paying me. Now, what Doja doesn't know is that he'll never have enough money in his lifetime to buy Steve's loyalty from the actual sources of income Steve has. But he won't know that for a while yet. So Doja decides to set up a little test. He wants to have Steve silence this DJ in Lafayette who's been giving Doja hell on the radio there. Steve takes some cash for the first job and he leaves. Now, 
Doja expects us to take a few days. You know, you gotta track the DJ down, find out where to make a move, etc. Steve is back in the commissioner's office the next morning. He's put the fear of God in the DJ the same day and got home uh, with time to spare. Now, like a great majority of people who have any success in politics in Louisiana, Doja's about as bent as hell, but he's an amateur. Now, that shouldn't be a problem, you know, because everybody's got to start somewhere. Problem is, Doja don't think he's an amateur. He thinks he's an old pro, so he starts off pushing on the wrong people in the wrong directions right out of the gate. Getting a statewide executive position in government, you know, you'd think he'd learn the ropes and uh, find ways to use his influence. <laughs> nah. If Doja could really give a shit about learning anything. Fact is, he feels the commissioner's job is beneath him. He's just in the door and he's already decided he's going to run for governor in 1980. And win. All he needs to do is start putting money together to build his war chest. So one of the first things he wants Steve to do is to go on a fundraising trip with him to New Orleans. Now Doja brings Jim Knotts along. And he wants to hit some of the big grocery store chains. The chains have money. And the Department of Agriculture oversees all food commerce, so he's got a legal reason to be there. Now, specifically, they inspect and certify scales that are used for everything sold by weight. And this puts Steve in a bit of a delicate spot. You know, people in New Orleans, uh, they know who Steve is actually aligned with. And, you know, when he walks into a, a grocery store down there, uh, when he's leading the commissioner and Jim Knotts, he's got to make sure that the people there know that, that this is not, I mean, you know, he is, okay, let's stop for a sec. It's probably a good time for me to let you know who Dave Steese actually is. Uh, he's born Anthony Giordano Jr. in St. Louis, Missouri. His dad, Anthony Mad Dog Giordano, was the mafia boss of St. Louis at the time. Now, when the elder Giordano gets sent to prison, he sends his son to New Orleans for protection. His name is changed to David Steese, and he begins working with the New Orleans family. Now, at this time, he is working under some legends in the New Orleans Mafia. Nofio Pecora, Joseph Pareto, and of course, Carlos Marcello. By the time he takes the job in a commissioner's office, he's been given a street name, Blackie, and he's running a big crew in New Orleans. They have a lot of different rackets, but it includes the fleet vehicle contract for the state of Louisiana. Now, usually that's going to be a fairly low-margin, high-volume deal, but they've found a way to make it high-profit as well. Most of the cars that are being delivered to the state are former wrecks that have been totaled, and then the dealership rebuilds them and sells them as new. So when they get this new dumbass commissioner in office, they need to keep him in line and get rid of him. So Steese is set to work on the inside. Uh, he not only makes a few big plays, he is busily identifying the solid guys in his department and identifying the people that need to go in order for Steese to secure his position and still have enough agency to do everything he needs to do. So back to this fundraising trip. Steve has to make sure that when he visits these grocery stores, the people they talk to know he isn't representing the family. So, uh, they don't really accomplish much uh, at first. Uh, when they hit Donyaks, owner won't even see him, just brushes them off. As at this point, Steve realizes that Doja hasn't done any groundwork. I mean, he doesn't know any of these people at all. You know, 
they're sitting there in, uh, in Donyak's parking lot, and, and Steve says, well, do they know we're coming? And Doja says, who? Steve says, Joe, Joe Donyak. Joe who? Wait, you don't know Joe Donyak? Uh, no, should I? <laughs> so he's going to put the arm on this guy uh, who he's never met before, just shows up out of the fucking blue. So anyway, Steve huddles with Jim Knotts for a minute. He figures out, I got a way I can, uh, can endear myself to this guy. Uh, and more importantly, I can impress the men that are working under me. Because as a former Marine, Steve knows the importance of having a solid squad under you. And you know what? If it takes that blowhard Joe Dorniak down a peg or two, eh, all the better. Probably should mention here that while Jim Knotts isn't a connected guy, he's an ally and uh, he has no problem helping maneuver the commissioner down the drain. He knows that Steve is a great guy to build good capital with. So Steve puts together a team to go to back down to New Orleans with him. And he gives every member a printout of the law that defines the right to inspect and condemn inaccurate retail equipment. They get these big red stamps that are like a foot long that say condemned, and these long rolls of brown paper. So the crew fucking descends on Dorniak's store at about 4 p.m. on a Friday afternoon. Hide his shopping time. Stores full, people with full baskets everywhere. Now this crew comes in, they invade the meat department and shut everything down. They hand every employee a copy of the law that gives them jurisdiction. Now, the scales in most of these stores haven't been checked in a decade or more. It's inevitable they're going to be at least, you know, somewhat out of calibration. I don't think they've ever been checked like this. Every few minutes an inspector calls out that another scale is inaccurate, and the other officers on the weights and measure squad wrap another meat case with brown paper being loudly stamped, CONDEMNED! CONDEMNED! <laughs> and one of Steve's two top guys has even come up with some tape that he found that reads CONDEMNED, and they wrap that around the scales, you know, sticking everything down. So, they ain't far into this operation when Joe Dorniak himself comes storming in and yelling for him, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, nobody stops. Steve gives him a copy of the law and says, look, I'll have a state trooper here to hogtie you and gag you if you don't lower your voice. So Dorniak storms off with a copy of his law. He comes back later. He's got an attorney and a, a Jefferson Parish deputy. Steve hands both of them a copy of the law and uh, basically... It's like, hey, here's the law. Fuck off now. So just to put icing on the cake, after most of the shoppers have just walked away from their carts, leaving, you know, full grocery carts all over the store, um, Steve walks out with his crew, and it looks like somebody might have tipped off the media. So there's a camera crew out there. Steve tells them, yeah, Dornyax has been charging customers for air since the scales are off. Uh, basically calls Dornyak a thief on television, and all the while knowing, you know, this commissioner is a bigger crook than fucking Dornyak's ever going to be. So the following Monday, the commissioner has called Steve in to discuss the Dornyak takedown. The press from New Orleans has been lighting up the phones all morning, and the commissioner asked Steve, uh, should I ask him for a donation now? <laughs> Steve is thinking this guy is such an idiot, taking him down ain't going to be a problem. Fuck, he's going to take himself down before Steve can do anything. 
Um, Mastice replies, uh, you know, I don't know about the money thing. I tell you what, I'll just enforce the law. I'll let you handle the money side. Now, by this point, Steve has identified the job of assistant commissioner in charge of weights and measures as the job he needs to cement himself in. Uh, the guy currently in the job is a holdover from the last administration. I mean, he's just sitting there marking time until retirement. So, Steve convinces Doja to fire the old guy, and uh, Steve moves into the job. Now, Steve has got some clout in the department. He starts maneuvering Doja out the door. I mean, it's pretty clear early on, they just need to get rid of him. There's, there's no way you're going to be able to manage this guy. He's a loose cannon who could fuck up making a dish of ice cream. Uh, but a guy in a public position like this can't just vanish. Uh, he needs to go down in a public way that keeps everybody involved clean. So, luckily, uh, Doja starts very early on asking for specific campaign contributions. And those contributions are going to be in exchange for licenses and specific actions from his office. Uh, he actually thought that, you know, he could ask for a, a blatant quid pro quo, but if he called it a campaign contribution, it would insulate him from any legal harm. I mean, so catching this guy dirty ain't the problem. Uh, keeping clean and ensuring the correct outcome is the only issue here. So Doja keeps trying to draw Steese into more fundraising activities. Now Steese knows he needs to play the, the faithful and true employee, um, but a co-conspirator makes a tricky witness. Uh, you don't want to get tied up in there. So an honest employee is a lot more valuable in a trial. Now that means Steese can't mix muscle and money. And the easiest way to avoid that is just avoid the fundraising trips entirely. Now, somewhere in the middle of all this, the commissioner gets a message from Mafia attorney Vince Marinello. Uh, that Marinello wants to meet him and uh, talk about maybe a deal, maybe a contribution. Now, Steve knows this type of contribution always comes with strings attached. It might be coming from Vince, uh, but it also might be coming from Carlos Marcello. Now, should note here, this isn't the same Vince Marinello that was a sportscaster who uh, killed his wife. Uh, but this one is, is about as shady as that. Um, now, Marinello had been a connected guy since the early 60s, but he's known in the family as being kind of a flake. You know, and in the end, uh, late 70s, he turned up, uh, turned the state's evidence during the Brylab investigation and that would be the uh, investigation that ends up sending Carlos Marcelo to prison. Now, as you might imagine, um, Vince's life ain't worth shit after that. And a few years later, uh, Vince's car is found in a parking lot sitting there with the engine running. But uh, Vince's mouth isn't ever going to run again. He's got a couple of gunshot wounds to the head. Now, the commission has got this message from Marinello and he wants to know if Steve can set up the meeting. And Steve says, yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try to set it up. So over the next little bit, Steve tries to hunt down Vince Marinello. But like I said, you know, Marinello is kind of a flake. He might be at this girl's place. He might be at a friend's house. He might be at his camp out here. He might be at his house over there. Um, he may, yeah, Steve runs around for a while. He's trying to find the guy, he checks restaurants that they all go to, 
Nothing. Can't find him anywhere. So after he's been at this for a week or two, Steve recognizes, look, I got a shortcut to process and make sure I don't get myself in a bind in the middle of this deal. Because again, Steve doesn't know, uh, you know, where the, uh, where the call for the deal is coming from. So he goes by the town and country hotel and meets with Carlos Marcelo himself. Now, Steve tells Marcelo uh, he's working in the new commissioner's office and the commissioner got word that uh, Vince Marinello wants to talk some Monty Hall stuff, you know, and for you youngsters, that means let's make a deal. And uh, so Marcelo asks Steve a few questions and then tells him, look, uh, bring the commissioner to Churchill Farms, which is Marcelo's private farm. Bring, bring him over to the, to the farm on Thursday. Now, Steve tells him, uh, yeah, the commissioner's got a handholder, Jim Knotts. Is it okay if he comes along? He was in the Michaud, uh scandal at Broken. Uh, he, he's, he's a solid guy. And Marcelo says that's fine, uh, but nobody but the commissioner, Knotts, can come. So back in the ag department, Steve is employing those uh, mafia capo skills, and he figures out how to streamline the operation. He delegates to trusted employees, and overall, you know, just have a functioning department of weights and measures, which, you know, hadn't happened in a long time. Now, I'll tell you, I'd have been disappointed if he didn't figure out a way to squeeze a little extra money out of the job. And so it turns out, uh, the companies that carry things that are sold by the pound, well, it's very valuable to them to know when waste stations are going to be closed. That's, uh, that might be some information that Steve can provide. So, yeah, now, the commissioner, uh, he's getting his, uh, his, his panties in a twist because Steve won't go around strong-arming people for money. So he needs somebody who can handle that side of the scam, and he finds a willing lackey in this old judge named Hawk Daniels. Uh, Daniels is what Louisiana politics calls uh, colorful. Uh, in the rest of the country, it's called insane. Uh, Daniels was known for doing shit like flipping coins to decide well, whether somebody's guilty or innocent in his courtroom. I mean, he is straight up batshit crazy. So, you know, since Steve isn't raising money, uh, the commissioner decides to send him to southern Mississippi to do some landscaping work on a trailer park that the commissioner owns near Biloxi. Probably, uh, the commissioner's trying to say, if you won't raise money for me, I'm going to give you a shit job to do for me personally. The commissioner tells him where to pick up the supplies at the state highway department barn and all this shit. Steve cannot believe that this moron would hand him such a gift. So, by this time, you know, Steve has earned a reputation as being a pretty good person to work with. And in addition, he's moved a few of his people into jobs in the department, so, you know, he's got more allies around. So he goes and he, he loads up the supplies as instructed. And, you know, he's a cool guy to hang around with. He's goofing around with his crew, laughing, joking, taking tons of fucking pictures. On top of the pictures now, he also keeps the receipts for everything he does. You know, of course, they're all going to need to buy gas in Mississippi. You can't get back, you know. So he takes lots of pictures of the people once they get to Mississippi. Here's the state of Louisiana cars, here's the state of Louisiana equipment, here's the state of Louisiana employees working on the commissioner's fucking trailer park in Biloxi. <laughs> so, yeah. On the way home, they even stop and help a motorist with a flat tire. 
she's on the side of the interstate in Mississippi. She ends up sending a letter to thank him. I, I don't know if this was a lucky accident or a setup, but it was fucking beautiful either way. Now, in the meantime, this commissioner is going into high gear demanding bribes. And there are some prominent people starting to show up at the office to complain. But, you know, of course this commissioner thinks, ah, I'm so much smarter than all these hayseeds, uh, they can't touch me. So, Thursday night rolls around. And, you know, the commissioner and Knotts had been kind of on edge knowing this meeting was coming up. And uh, Steve knows now it's time to take the commissioner and Knotts to see Carlos Marcello. So they meet up, and um, Jim Knotts is driving the commissioner, and they follow Steve. And he leads them down Veterans Boulevard and then on to David Drive, over to Hickory, over to Jefferson Highway. They cross to Huey P. Long Bridge, and they take the West Bank Expressway over to Manhattan Boulevard. Go down Manhattan, they turn, they go up on La Palco. Uh, when they turn off La Palco on the Churchill Farms Road, Steve stops and uh, parks his car across the driveway so there won't be any unwanted visitors. Now, he tells them there's a house that direction. And while he's out there in his car waiting, the commissioner's car rolls up the driveway to Churchill Farms to meet with Carlos Marcello. That's where we're going to stop for today. This has been part one of the, uh, the Doja Mafia connection. Uh, thank you so much. I want to thank everybody who's been listening. Um, we, we can't do this without, you know, without our listeners. It's, it's wonderful to have you guys here. Uh, please check down in the show notes. You can see how you can follow us on, on Twitter at New Orleans Moth, uh, on, uh, Facebook, New Orleans Mafia podcast. Um, if, if you want to support the show, please give us a rating. Uh, just click on the, click, give us five stars and make sure you say something there. It doesn't matter what you say. Um, just uh, f for these reviews to count, you need to actually put uh, a couple of words in there. Uh, say anything you like. I, I don't care. It's, it's not for me. Um, and if, if you want to uh, help support the show more, just if you want to be, you know, get your shout out on the air here, because anyone who's a Patreon supporter, I will absolutely give you a big shout out on the air. And, um, and you will have my eternal thanks as well. Uh, the Patreon link is down in the... Uh, down in the show notes below here, just uh, scroll down on your on your app you're listening to the podcast on. The show notes down there will have all our links in them. And uh, thank you again. Thank you all for listening. Um, we'll see you soon with part two of the Doja Mafia Connection. Thank you. Be well.